1: And welcome back to another episode of the Golden Blogs Podcast, the Bearcats. We are back here after the UC Davis win. Is that what we're going to call it? I think so. It's a win's a win. It's definitely a win. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a win. Because there's a one next to our name with a dash and then a zero. So a win's a win. But I'm your host, Rob Wong, with my co-host here, Andy Johnston. Andy, two words to describe the game, please.
2: Disappointing and.
1: Disappointing (laughs) and.
0: Okay. Disappointing and. Disappointing
1: and. Or and disappointing. Could be either or. Yeah, what about you? Two words to describe the game. Mm, Gonna have to say. Mediocre. But fixable. That's what I'll leave it at. Yeah. It's like mediocrity. Yeah, you only need one word. Yeah, but there's a lot of things that we'll talk about that we can fix and is fixable things. It's not an issue in terms of the scheme and, and so on and so forth. But we'll go into that in a little bit. We are back here after what seems like a while, but it's only been a little over a week since we recorded. Yeah, um, you were well, you since, were away since I recorded. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we had that mishap with the Twitch stuff which we'll get back up I think later on in the season, but for now we're just going to do this recording thing for a bit. Um we got some new equipment though, so the sound should be significantly better at this point. Yeah. It's, it's good times. Good times. <laughs> good times. Yeah. I'm very excited right now. Um but let's let's talk about how was your week? What you uh you had some time out in New York. Yeah, I was in New York. Uh,
2: awesome time in New York City. Haven't been in like seven years, I don't think. So it was good to be out there on the East Coast. And uh, shout out to Heyda, uh who invited me to come watch the Cal game, but it was in the middle of a wedding. Um, but it was a it was a great time, and uh, it was great to go to the U.S. Open and see Coco play, and we had awesome seats for that. So uh, that might just be like an annual trip from here on out, and a U.S. Open trip. Yeah it was a ton of fun. And then, I mean, Saturday, like before the wedding and all the, uh, pictures and stuff had to happen. We, you know, had football on and got to watch Ole Miss be terrible. So that was fun. And, uh, it was just, you know, fun to see college football be back in the full swing of things. There's nothing more fun than I think that first weekend and you sort of get answers to some questions and then you get a ton more questions, uh, that come up after that first game. And I think that's like a perfect articulation of how I feel after, you know, having the chance to watch the Cal Davis game is like, you know, we were wondering, it's always one of those things. Like I talked about this when we were recorded a week ago, like you guys have the ability of seeing everything in camp. And then I sort of have that perspective of the 99% of fans that don't get to actually see, you know, what's happening uh, behind the scenes. And so my first look is the first look that I've seen them since, you know, the spring game, and then if not that, then the cheez So, uh, a lot of similarities, a lot of differences. Well, the, and, uh... bar, the bar really wasn't set that
1: high. No, <laughs> not at all. Not but, at all. Uh, yeah, it was a good week. How was your week? I mean, it was a lot of game prep, right? We had a lot of articles go up. Um, I started working on the defensive previews, which I'll do for the rest of the season so far. So, I have a lot more writing duties this year um and i'm excited i spent a lot of the summer reading up on um just i guess learning the sport of football again i feel like i hadn't done that in quite a while i've watched enough games and, and and done the the beat reporter stuff but actually investing time into learning the game of football i didn't re- really do much so i figured i'd take the summer to do that which i did and you know call me crazy but i i bought the uh like how to learn football for dummies, like that yellow textbook read through it just to get a, you know, a a solid foundation of like the rules and the positions and so on. I found some books on Amazon for like defensive coordinator handbooks and things just because our, I think our defense is definitely more intricate than our offense is. So there's a lot more nuances. I think defense is something definitely that's harder to pick up just because it's a lot more of a reactionary side of the ball. Um, of what the offense is doing. The offense is pretty much preset, right? You're going to run the play no matter what happens, but the defense has to react upon it. So learning the little nuances of each position and, and so on. And <clears throat> so I did that. And so I wanted to put that to use, which is why I picked up the defensive previews. Um, but, you know, certain opponents, there's just not a lot. There's just not a lot. Like I wanted to write more on UC Davis, but I just couldn't find film yeah. on UC Davis to, be yeah. able to to look at it and break it down. So
2: Why? Yeah. Done de- not some sort of preview for the last three years, so I know what that's like. Yeah, and it's definitely a struggle, but uh you won't have any shortage of film for next week's opponent in no. Washington. So,
1: no. a shout out to the new guy who's taking over your offensive previews, Christopher H, who has done an outstanding job. Yeah, it's a must read. Oh my goodness, the amount of time and effort that goes into it, and the dude finishes it like two weeks in advance, which is <laughs> incredible for for an editor like me to see it in the dashboard like he already has the North Texas one up granted he'll make adjustments considering like if someone gets injured you know next week and things like that but the amount of time he puts into it like creating those GIFs and the and the pictures to like do the breakdowns and talk about specific players incredible work incredible absolutely incredible work so that's definitely a must read going into the season i guess this is where we talk about some housekeeping um is that uh, we also have Owen Kaminsky, who is a mic man for the Cal, um, are they part of a Rally Team? They're not really a part of a Rally Team, but I guess the Spirit Squad or the Spirit Team—they're a part of that arc or the, the that branch of Cal Athletics. But uh, he reached out because he wanted to write for us, and after going through some compliance things, um, he is going to be writing uh, hype-up pieces every day before the game. So we're gonna have a Mike Man writing hype-up pieces going into the game, which is. I think awesome, and I think a lot of the comments and the people who read it actually thoroughly enjoyed it. It was really good. It was really well yeah, was well true. written. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited. I am excited about the, just the the bullpen of writers that we have this year, and a lot of guys that just came in last minute. But I think they're going to do a great job. And so, shout out to those guys. I guess some other housekeeping is um, all of our stuff. Uh, Link wise, you can we launched a brand new Instagram page. So it's Instagram.com backslash Golden Blogs. Um, a lot of the stories and things like that will be on game day and behind the scenes looks and asking fans. So we'll have a guy on campus the whole day going around, you know, asking people their thoughts and you get to be on our Instagram story. Um, if you find hey. it, yes. Yeah. So, and posts and so on, will be going up there. So, so give us a follow, um, and the like and whatever, whatnot. And I think that's, that's pretty much it in terms of housekeeping. There's not, there's not much. Um, I think for the next couple of weeks, though, we will be podcasting like this instead of live streaming on Twitch until we get some of that video stuff handled. But yep. yeah, But for now, this is a good this is a good place to start. So,
2: can I do football housekeeping? Sure. Okay. Uh, it, just in case you didn't hear about it, JT Daniels ACL MCL out for the year. For the oh, OSC. so you want to do
1: like a little mini news roundup housekeeping? Yeah, around around the NCAA. All right, yep. I'm good with it. Pat McCarry made the roster yes. with the Ravens. Patrick um, Laird made the roster with the Dolphins. Yep. And we had one more. Knossich. Kanasich, of course. How could I forget? Your your favorite player. My favorite player. <laughs> player has made the roster. I don't think that was ever in doubt with the way he played in preseason. Laird was a little bit in doubt just because they have so many running backs um, on that roster. But he's a special teamer guy too, so I think that's why they put him on. And I had no idea McCarry played that well for him to get a roster spot on that offensive line. I was kind of shocked that he didn't get drafted. Makari? Yeah. Well, I was shocked that none of those three guys got drafted, even in the later rounds. Konasich probably the, the most. Yeah. I figured at least a late-round flyer on him. Um, but the cool thing was that the Panthers linebacker's coach is actually the guy who ran Cal's Pro Day. So he had a very, very good in-depth look um, with Jordan. Hmm. when they were here and they were working with them. So I think I think that probably helped along with having Bug Rivera who was oh, on yeah. on the team and of course Ron as the head coach. <laughs> There's I think. a lot of There's a lot of connections that got him there. Um so yeah, I think that's probably a big a big reason. Any other any other news newsworthy things?
2: I mean the thing we talked about yesterday was the news of those who Got cut. There were a so lot So if
1: you want to rattle those off. Uh Davis Webb, Ian Bunting, but Ian Bunting just got signed to a practice the Jets practice squad. Um Jordan VC uh Steven Anderson Maurice Harris got cut last week. Calfani. Calfani. Um Oh lord. Why am I blanking? There's a few more though. There's a few more. Oh Hansen. Um uh, yeah. I think those guys. Some of those guys will find spots. Um, it might be time for some of those other guys, maybe to to move on to another chapter in their lives. Which crazy? It's yeah. It's that's how the the rule of pro sports, man. Zach Maynard uh, requested me on LinkedIn.
2: That's awesome. And me and like ten other friends of mine. Great.
1: <laughs> that's awesome. So he's 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 definitely moved on. He's moved he's on. Definitely moved on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, football's one. I mean. We can talk about this just for a second and then move on to the game. But football is one of those weird sports, right? Because it's only, it's basically only played here professionally. It's not one of those things where, like, basketball or, or soccer, where you can decide to go play in another country, you know? Right. And, and make money off of it. Like do what
2: Jerome Randall did.
1: Yeah. You can't you can't do that with football. Like, it's either – I mean, I guess the CFL, is that – that counts. It counts. To a certain degree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's, there's definitely a finite limit of roster spots and availability to play football professionally beyond college, which kind of sucks in a way, because you don't see guys having long careers elsewhere, maybe. Like a General Randall type, you know? He's that's a, he's going to have a, he's had a long basketball professional career. Yeah. It just wasn't in the NBA, but he made some money off of it and made a living, so he has that experience under his belt. But let's move on to the season opener against Davis. So our setup is a little different this year. Last year we did a lot of things where we kind of broke it down, talked about the offense, the defense, maybe the special teams, and, and other ways. We're going to kind of keep it a little bit more conversational, um, just the way we did it for our preview pod. So Andy and I have both written down, I think, I've written down six. I don't know how many you wrote six. down. Six. Six. So we both have six points that we want to talk about. We might overlap, but if they overlap, they overlap. And then at the end, we're probably going to give a little bit of some accolades to players that we thought deserved deserve some. And then we'll do a little 5-10 minute talk on what we think is going to happen Next up week. in Seattle. Yeah, A Pac-12 game in week
2: two. And I think this will be fun because uh, it'll create a conversation after the point And you can either be, you know, we won't always be in agreement. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, no, I we know won't. that there's going to be one coming today. There's already a think.
1: I, there's already I think three. There's there has to be at least three that we think that we have a little bit of a different perspective yeah. on. Uh huh. All right, which I fine with. All right, so let's. Do you want to go first or second? Well, I'm going to give them a little breakdown of what happened in the game. Just give them some stats, right? Just uh, work them through. So Cal played UC Davis on Saturday. It was a 3:30 p.m. kickoff. Beautiful day in Berkeley, by the way. A little too warm, but sunshine. Absolute beautiful day. Once you time. live in Chicago, there isn't a thing <laughs> known as being too warm. <laughs> yeah, you're probably it's right. Just too cold. You're probably right. All right, but Cal beats UC Davis 27 to 13, led behind 197 yards on the ground by Christopher Brown Jr. with a touchdown. He does 36 rushes and he gained 201, lost four. So he had a net of 197. Uh, one TD, longest was 26. He averaged five and a half yards per carry. The next guy up in terms of rushing behind him was Marcel Dancy with uh, 32 yards on five carries. But Garber's actually had 30 yards on seven carries as well. But that also includes like a not a real, he didn't get sacked, but there were a couple like tackles or sack or tackles for loss that kind of ended up at the line There's of a scrimmage. Sack, fumble. Well, it's not accredited. Oh. On the stat sheet, there's zero stat, uh, sacks accredited on the stat sheet. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. yeah, okay, yeah. So, officially, officially on the stat sheet, zero sacks. Don't know how that works, but okay, <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. We're down, I'll take it statistically. It's clean. Uh, Nico Remigio, uh, with four receptions for 46 yards, Keiko Crawford. Three receptions on five targets with 84, 84 yards and two touchdowns, 37 for a long. Um, defensively, we had some pretty good debuts. Uh, Coin Deng with 12 total tackles, and Evan Weaver, of course, with this season debut with 11, uh, 11 total tackles, one QB hurry. Coin Deng also had two pass breakups and two QB hurries on top of the 12 tackles. Leaning most of the backfield havoc, though, was Luke Beckett with one sack and two tackles for a loss. The other guys accredited for a sack and tackle for loss were Cameron Good with one sack and one tackle for a loss, and that was it. We didn't have any interceptions, um, so, you know, it's kind of sad. I kind of hoped for maybe some interceptions to, to kick off this game or the season against an FCS team, but... Ah, uh, we didn't really get that. And I guess the last thing that I guess people are going to want to hear is Chase Garber's total stat line 16 of 28, uh, one interception, 238 yards, two touchdowns, and his longest pass was 37 yards for that touchdown to Kiko Crawford. And that's it. Do you want to start with a point?
2: Yeah, let's start with the one that I think everybody wants to, or the one that we've I've read the most about. It's so the big know, one
1: that everyone wants to talk about
2: yeah so let's uh not beat around the bush chase garber's performance i rated as solidly mediocre some good plays some really bad i think you could give him so he obviously had uh the fumble and the pick that ultimately looked like it was a the wrong route by makai polk so it's you know, you can be kind of forgiving there, but then you look at his touchdown to Kakoa Crawford, which is the long of the day, and it was like this horrible duck. I can't even begin to explain how disappointing of a pass that was. To be rolling the out... The second touchdown. Yeah, where he's rolling out, and he's running, and he's throwing with his body rather than, you know, across his body. So that's a much easier throw to make. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not like... It wasn't the best read in the world because you obviously had what looked like the corner and then the safety. So it wasn't necessarily a wrong read. I mean, I don't mind him going for it. But if you're going to like throw the ball up in the air like that and uh, and it's just like the world's worst looking pass. And then on top of it, it's like hitting the corner in the hands and then bounces off of them. goes in. It just seemed like the game should have been 20 to 13. And then on top of it, when you throw in, like, the play where he was running out of bounds and he tries to throw it into Remigio, and then... uh, That's in, like, the first quarter. The first quarter, and, like, it goes right through the linebacker's hands. It's like, this is all fine and well against Davis, I suppose, but, like, if you play any level up above that, like, maybe outside of Oregon State, it's just not sustainable at all. And you're looking at a potential, you know one player having three to four turnovers so it's it's hard he made some really good throws which which is why it's in the mediocre category it's not ranked as awful it wasn't an awful performance he made some plays on his feet he had some potentially bad reads out of the rpo uh that and i thought that some of his decision making was actually a little bit slow Uh, decisions to run out of the pocket like running out of the pocket he was like a second too late where he could have gotten maybe 15 yards and then it ended up only getting five. So, but some of the highlights, I think like that he had a really good throw to McAllen castles that that dude just dropped. Uh, there's the other one over the top to the tight end that ton yeah, that was super nice throw. Um, the one Nico over the middle was also a nice one too. Yep. And then the throw to Koko is fine. He's just wide open Yeah. and he hit all day back there. So I think like it's, yeah it just for for someone that had that much time against an opponent that is an fcs opponent i just think that the standard is higher it wasn't awful it's not like i still think that cal can win nine games if they got that level of production out of them but if the turnovers you know sort of normalize then you have a real problem and so i think that's like the scary side for me is like more of in a this is like in a vacuum because we're playing against an opponent and you know it's open you know, it's the FCS. It's a season it's, opener too. Yeah, and then you bring that into okay, like we're gonna play Oregon and you're gonna do that, like it's just not gonna it's just not gonna fly. So
1: mediocre. I guess I guess I'll couple, I'll touch on a couple of points that you said. The first thing is the the normalization of the turnovers, right? If we have if we're giving up a special teams turnover every game, we have a very big issue on our hands. Uh, I don't think that'll be the case. I think, I mean, I told you um, what I saw on that kickoff return, which is Drayden and Hawkins both lose their blockers or both lose their assignments. And the guy who Drayden is supposed to guard comes flying in and it just, it's like the perfect storm. Hand reaches in perfectly into that space right between the ball and his bicep. And he's flying backwards behind Ashton Davis. So pretty much all of his body weight is on Ashton's bicep and I, the dude's buff, but I highly doubt he's, he can curl, you know, <laughs> or keep curled like 200 pounds on his, on his hand. And then if the, his arm goes down, the ball slips out cause it's not secured anymore against his, against his arm and his chest, UC Davis jumps on it. They're starting at our 21 yard line. Um, so if, if that continues, Oh my goodness, we have a totally different <laughs> issue on our hands. I'm totally with you for th- with the interceptions. Um, I think the first one, or his only interception, true interception of the game, is kind of weird because Wilcox did say after the game, like, we have to help him on that route. I don't know what he meant by that. If he meant that we need to give him more clear-cut routes or the receiver ran the wrong route or broke wrong, and he expected him to be there. And I, I put this in the comments section of our insta recap. It's we see the whole field when we're watching the gameplay, right? We see which wide receivers are open, which wide receivers are not. When you're on the field, you're on the same you're on the same plane. You don't see the the highs and you don't see the depth and you know a, a linebacker can get in the way right of a of a wide receiver. And we can see that the wide receiver is open down, down, but for the quarterback, he might not see the wide receiver at all and certain plays also call for him to throw into specific specific spaces because they know the gaps are going to be available and you're you know everyone raves about a quarterback that can throw before the wide receiver gets there right you're already making the throw anticipating that the wide receiver will be in that location we just don't know what that play call called for like it is was it a wrong route first of all second was he supposed to throw into that space and then makai was supposed to break into that space and it just he just left the ball into that space a little too late i mean the ball came out late either way right but people talking about like oh he threw straight into the defense i was like i don't think he actually threw straight into the defense it's mm-hmm. it's just compounded because it ended up as an interception so there's that my point about garbers and i got a lot of flack for for like like protecting garbers and like thinking he's going to get better. Here's the thing. I came into the season and I watched him play in practice, right? And I think there's a there's a few other beat writers that are on the same page as me on this. Is that if he if he was throwing balls like we saw him play in UC Davis, like more often than not bad balls, all of us wouldn't be saying he he deserved to be the starter. Right? and we would we would also be saying that monster probably should have been the starter the reason we're saying he should he got the job and was well deserved of the job was because he wasn't playing like this in practice and the the other side of the argument i know that people are going to bring up is like it's practice he's playing well in practice yeah but but the the i guess the counter argument that i can make to that is you also can't have it both ways you also can't have you also can't have it's saying like, Oh, the offense is going to be practicing against our defense every single day. Right. One of the stellar defenses that Cal's maybe ever seen. And they're going to get better and get better and get better. You can't say that. And then also say, Oh, it's just practice. And that's why he's playing so well. Cause the defense is going to play hard during practice as well. Right. They're going to try and make as many adjustments and, and pick off plays and get the, as many pass breakups and so on and play the wide receivers as well as possible. Yeah. So it, you, you ha- there has to be some give at some point to either side of that to me i think what you what you found in this game in
2: particular is a first quarter and almost all the way like to maybe another 4 minutes into a second quarter where y- you just saw a lot of what probably was you know for lack of a better term ptsd from last year that's how i figured it and so it seemed like it was the you know, optimism that everybody had, right? You get the optimism because it's in camp and then you come out of it and then it's like, oh, hey, maybe we, uh, you know, maybe yeah. he's going to take that step. Maybe it that's miraculously like a, turns around. It's a totally logical thing to think. I mean, for someone that is a highly touted recruit, but the game tape is why I just didn't buy like the hype this year because the game tape of last season it wasn't like we saw a
1: little of him last season like we got to see a lot of Chase last season right and well we didn't but we also didn't see him just be the the guy all year i mean maybe well i mean we didn't see maybe. Him, we didn't see him play in two games but like i i don't know
2: how much of a difference there is between playing as much as Chase did last year versus being the guy I don't know if there's like a huge, in well, my mind, just personally, I, I'm not sure if
1: I like would say there's a huge difference between those two things. My, my, arg- I don't know if it's an argument, but my, my claim to that would be I think the biggest thing is, and I can't speak to Chase and what he was going through at the time, but if you're going, and we talked about this all of last year, right? If you're a quarterback and you know that we're running a two quarterback system, kind of, mm-hmm. not really. And you know that if you make a mistake, you're getting benched for the other dude until he makes a mistake. Then you're coming back in. And if you're constantly having that mentality switch of like, I can't make a mistake, I can't make a mistake, I can't make a mistake. And the coaching staff doesn't put that firm belief in you, you have, you're have you going to have a very big issue in your decision-making process. You're like, okay, am I making the right decision? Like, am I, should I be throwing to this guy? Should I be throwing to my safety valve? And so on. I think the first quarter and, a half, and that four minutes. I think that's exactly what you saw, is that that like I don't I don't want to say rattled, but just being in there in the pocket having that much time to throw and just rethinking himself, rethinking himself, rethinking himself, only to come off the field. And the coaching staff just said, "You're going back out there. There's we're not replacing you. There's there's no other guy just because you played like that. We're gonna we're gonna replace." Right, and I think that helped build his confidence, probably about halfway through that second quarter, and he got a lot more settled down. I mean,
2: yes, but I mean that's I mean that's I think
1: separate from the mechanics of of his wobbly balls and all that, but what you saw was
2: so yes, I guess I agree with the fact that maybe there's somewhat more security in there's not somebody coming in immediately after him but I don't know if that's necessarily like the expectation that would really make sense within what Wilcox is building, because so much of what they're really all about is competition. And so in that environment, you would want to have that intensity. You wouldn't want someone to have the mentality of feeling, you know, so secure that they could play horribly and still feel like they were deserved of the next possession. So I think like, I get it. I agree with you. But then and then I also didn't see the progression in the game where it'd be one thing if it was like the first you know, for the first uh quarter it was like off and then every quarter there on after it was like high execution, like really good football. But it just was it wasn't. Like there was multiple plays, you know, even in the third quarter where he was like dropping down to a sidearm and overthrowing wide open receivers and like putting a ball too high to McCallan Castles and like on a wide open play and like he's getting time back there, you know, as a quarterback to make these plays and he's not making the plays. So I like on the one hand I agree and I'm not advocating for any change. I'm just more like disappointed that uh I was just not overly thrilled. So I can see where these people are coming from where like yeah, he makes somewhat poor reads, he's kind of slow in decision making. He's got, like, a noodle for an arm for some reason, which makes no sense because I did go back and watch all that high school tape that you told me to go watch. And it's ridiculous. He was throwing
1: – he was airing it
2: out like yeah. crazy. But, I mean, if you compare one-to-one to UC Davis's quarterback, Meyer threw a better ball. He threw a faster ball, more accurate. He made the decisions. I mean, he was placing the balls like a lot of those throws where the Davis receivers were, you know, toe-touching to the outside – I mean, those are throws we haven't seen our quarterbacks make. And it's not just Garbers. We didn't see those throws from Bowers either. They both seem to throw this, like, fluttery ball that gets too much air under it. And and I think, like, you know, you'll come back and, like, our expectations are sky high for what our quarterbacks can be. But I think, like, I just want a quarterback that can go out there and, like, you know, zip the ball a little bit and throw it in a good spot. And, um, and so – Anyways, it just wasn't – I didn't see anything here that made me feel any differently about about Garbers than I felt since, yeah, I'd say, uh, I don't know, like midway through last season. And it's just sort of been that consistency that concerns me because it's what I've seen and it, consist, it fits the same narrative.
1: And until it kind of breaks from that narrative, it's going to be challenging. People gave me a lot of flack for me saying that Garbers had a good game. From a statistical standpoint, I think he had a good game, right? I mean – it depends on what your expectation of what Garbers was going to do was, right? If you, if that's if that's what you're expecting, if you're expecting Garbers to come in and let's say throw three or four touchdowns and in an interception, like sure, he didn't stand up to your par, right? But I t- I expected us to run a lot in this game and us to throw, eh, kind of ish, hmm. and then him to get two or three touchdowns and maybe one or two turnovers like that. That's what I expected of him, and he played exactly to my expectations. And is that in the grander scheme of things a good game, a great game, or a bad game? Probably a mediocre game. But for me, that's why it was a good game because that's that was what I expected of the passing game as a whole going into going into this game. I think it depends on how you. I think it depends on
2: how you what your expectations were for Garbers going into the game. And if he is a, if in your mind it's a game management situation, and he's a game management quarterback, and all he's really doing is keeping the defense honest so we can free up our strength of the run, run game, game, fine, call it a good game. In any other context for me, there's no, way. I, I'm not going that far in saying that he had a good game because I think he could have had a way worse game, and that's the problem: is that he's not putting, he's not making decisions with the ball that are gonna be. You know, they're not going to last. It's not sustainable at a D1, you know, at a Pac 12 football level. And against Stanford, if you're going to go in and throw a ball into the arms of a linebacker, they're going to catch it. And then Stanford's getting that ball on the 35, right? And that's like, it's just so different versus like what we saw today. So it's like, I think that's maybe where some of the flack is coming from. If I were to push back on anything, that's where I would have. But I mean, overall, if it really is like that game manager mindset, I think uh yeah sure good game like he didn't throw the game away he had a couple of touchdowns six 16 to 28 like 57 percent yeah that's great i'll take that two to one touchdown to int ratio yep. 235 yards like yeah you could get a little bit more out of an fcs opponent like and then he had what 30 plus rushing yards
1: that's a yeah pretty good game i guess but it just depends on your expectations yeah. you know i mean the game flow also like didn't help but here's my wrap-up thought on Garbers, right? And I think this this wraps up my thoughts perfectly. With all the people that clamored for the backup immediately after seeing him throw that interception, this is my thought. Garbers didn't do enough good things to show improvement, but he also didn't do enough negative things to warrant a benching.
0: I think that's...
2: We that's, also... I mean... There's another piece here where you don't we don't even know who the backup is because right. Monster might not have eligibility. Exactly. And so are we clamoring for Spencer Brash to come in as a true freshman? Because if we want a repeat of the turnover experiment that happened to us last year, I mean then we're just resetting on the season again and then we gotta adjust our expectations for wins. Another, yeah. And then we gotta take it down from nine and maybe set it back down to six. Yeah. And then uh and then we hope that, you know. A year later, when we graduate our entire defense, that's the year that we finally break through. And then I don't want to go down that that yeah, path. That's yeah, a yeah. that's a non positive outlook. <laughs> I don't want to go down there. Yep. So I think, sure, I agree. With, I don't think he did anything to warrant being benched. I just think like a lot of people probably just want a little bit more, you know. And like that's where I'm at. I was like man, like it would be. It's like watching. I don't know, like a sequel to a movie and being like really excited for the sequel. And then it was just as mediocre as the first movie. And you're just kind of like, well, I wanted a little bit more out of it, but I guess it was okay.
1: I <laughs> think it's like the big thing for me is like the people that want like the backup to come in, like and you've, you've experienced this firsthand is when, when you were with the team and people clamor for the backup when you were with the
2: team yeah, for Bridgeford. Yeah.
1: yeah. And how much, I think it's the, the, this is the NFL thing, right? Is everyone's enamored with the backup if yeah. the starter sucks, and great Chase Garbers wasn't great, but he wasn't terrible either. Like he was just he was literally just a C. Like he was just a he was just purely average. Yeah. And you're clamoring for the backup. There's a there's a clear cut reason why none of the beat writers were saying that Devon Monster was a head shoulders above Chase Garbers because he he wasn't right. He just wasn't. And if you're if you're saying, no, that can't be the case, then I I don't know what to tell you. Because we were there at pretty much all the practices that we could have watched, right? Unless they were having secret practices at night that showed that Devon <laughs> Monster was way better and they're just keeping him as a secret weapon. The Aaron Rodgers underground. <laughs> yeah, in the Aaron Rodgers underground locker room. Like we, <laughs> We're we telling you what we saw, which is that Chase Garber was the better quarterback of the two and was well-deserving of being the starting quarterback. And yeah. so this... This, like, weird just love for that that backup spot, hoping that he comes in and brings a spark. Like, I don't know. I mean, we kind of felt that with, like, BMC last year,
2: right? So, I was going to say, I need to be, like, I was super guilty of being on the BMC train. I was, like, putting him in. He's QB1, 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 and then he lost. Well, he also had
0: a
1: couple games games early on where he looked good. For sure. Like, that BYU game, we pretty much won because of him.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, he looked, yeah, he looked great, but yeah, I was wrong. Yeah, you
1: can't. You just can't be enamored with the backup. Like, it, there's, yeah. there's a reason. There's a reason the coaching staff t- does that. Like, and if it's, I if think it's too close to call. Like, I, I don't know what I don't know what I would say, but I mean, I don't. It, in my eyes, it wasn't. Like, if you're trusting of my eyes and what I saw in practice, it, it wasn't. I think it's, uh,
2: it's one of those things that, where my threshold for this sort of ends where it's like I like am absolutely okay having an appetite for more out of our quarterback position and I think you look at it as a bigger problem than just what you're seeing on the field it's winning recruiting battles which you've talked about a bunch about um you know like there are a couple of quarterbacks do you want to talk about those quarterbacks that I
1: mean Hank Bachmeyer was one of the big ones that we wanted in this class and he threw for nearly 500 yards for Boise State this past week Right.
2: And then Jaden Daniels is now starting for ASU. Yeah. So, like, and you can pick, I think that's where I go. It's like, if you want the standard to be higher, point at the coaches and the recruiting and over, and then, yeah. Uh, and then, as far as like development, I'm not really even sure if what we're seeing is a matter of development or if it's a matter of like, pure like raw talent yeah but if you want more like it needs to be addressed on the recruiting front and that's the problem the stable of quarterbacks that we have right now for a university that has produced some of the best quarterbacks to you know of any school in the entire country country uh to have where we're at right now like it's just below standard it's below standard and so i think that to me is the bigger issue but i can't sit here and be like yeah, I've seen zero throws from Devin Monster except against us when we played yeah. UCLA. Uh, put him in the game after watching, you know, one quarter of Garbers with a couple of batted balls and you know not the best
1: throws. You can't you just can't because exactly like the moment the moment you go down that path, right? The moment the staff makes that decision and then goes to the backup this early on, like let's say Monster was available and we put him in at halftime. Oh man, that locker room, <laughs> and that QB room. Oh, oh boy, like you, you, you might lose it. You might lose that, and you might have guys just leaving the team mid season. Just like back to last year. Yeah. And I think we need to avoid last year because it did take a toll. Keep as much consistency as possible, no matter how mediocre. It is. I think, I think our our like line for QB play has also been heightened just because of how many good quarterbacks we've had over the last eight years or so right we've had some solid ones play for us and i think a lot of people that's become like whether consciously or subconsciously has become the average quarterback play that we seek at at cal which is not the case like garber's like across the board with all things considered like qbr on espn Do you know where he's ranked after this game no 73rd in the country at 145 Mm. is that is that great no is that terrible? No, he's 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 just right there in the middle.
2: Yeah, but it's yeah.
1: You're playing a dangerous game, my friends. I mean, it's it's only one game.
2: <laughs> Isolating one game. Well, I mean, going but that's, QBR, and then not factoring in opponent. I know, but like, that's also but
1: that's also what I'm saying is that everyone's clamoring for the backup after one game, which is the first game back, which yeah. according according to Rusty Simmons, our, our dear friend, off an entry on his throwing shoulder. Right, so
2: so, but the thing is, let's say we go to UW, and you have two quarters that looked like our first quarter against Davis. I mean, is that's that why I don't want to be on the pedestal of, Wait, <laughs> like, but what I'm saying, you are you are doing
1: the Lord's work. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, <laughs> yeah, is that is that what? bad? Would you consider Would you consider that a bad first half if that's the way we played against you? if if we did
2: two if if we had the first half was exactly the same as yeah. the first quarter against Davis. I would bench the quarterback. Okay,
1: okay, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I
2: mean, there's, I mean, if every pass is getting, we're going three and out on every single play, and then we're getting all of our passes batted down, and the offense is going nowhere, and then we just are getting balls. Like Chris Brown would hopefully be rushing well, but the Washington's too good. They'll cue in on the running back, and well, they'll like, just stack the box eight, and we yeah. just can't do anything about so, it. So I throw. mean, you do that, you're halfway through that game, and you can't, you know. I mean that's, but the problem is like that's also isolating the worst. So I think you look at it the game as a whole, and if Garbers can go, if you look at his production today and said, okay, we'll take, you know, two to one touchdown to interception ratio, a couple hundred yards throwing, and some positive gains on the ground, for sure that'll play against Washington big time. Take that any day of the week. So I think like, go there.
1: So, I'll, so I already said my first point, which was my Garber statement about okay. he didn't he didn't do anything bad enough to warrant a benching, but he didn't do anything good enough to show that he's improved. Okay, that was my first point. My second point kind of goes off of that into the game as a whole. I think the game as a whole and how the game went started off with that kickoff fumble. We go down ten zero, right? And it's just like, oh my god, we're gonna lose this, aren't we? <laughs> like that that feeling. That yep. feeling of we're going to we're gonna botch this badly as the first game of the season.
2: That UCLA Twitter person was right. That's yeah. all that was going through my head. I was mm-hmm. like, no way. And he
1: kept tweeting at me on the Golden Bloods. Really? Yeah. Uh, but then he shut up as soon as we tied it. Oh, I keep tweeting at him about their loss to Cincinnati, so don't worry. I, I got yeah. your back. Okay. I think the game and how the flow of the game and how it started off, right, regardless of how it ended up, the way it started and about up until halftime is the reason this game leaves a a worse taste in the mouth than actually what happened in the game. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think I totally agree. Yeah. I think that the first quarter brought back, it was like all of the same, all of the, the first nightmares. quarter was a, was a, like a, a microcosm of the cheese bowl. Yeah. And so <laughs> to go and have to relive that, I mean, no one should have to relive that. The cheese was, no one should disaster. ever have to
1: rewatch that ever.
2: Yeah. So I think that, um, yeah, I mean, and then the rest, the three quarters, and that's the thing. The second and the third quarter is what I would really highlight and say saw mark, marked improvement in. And um, and then the fourth quarter, like just quarterback position again. Uh, the fourth quarter, I felt like we kind of like regressed again where we started missing receivers. The biggest difference between if you look at, you know, yeah, I think the big thing is the running game. The O-line uh, play. The O-line, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Which is, like, one of my points. Go for it. So, um, like, Chris Brown as a feature back, uh, we talked about this. He makes four yards look easy, and I don't think I've seen that in a while. You know? When's
1: the, what's the last running back you think that you remember that made a four-yard gain look just like a, just like a little stroll? Maybe CJ? Like, I feel like CJ, CJ Anderson was, was, like,
2: secretly good at that. Easy? You know? Like, easy kind of, but, like... I think CJ was the one that I really looked at and was like, yeah, he's someone that always had a better stat line than it looked like in the game because he was just at least getting four yards in every play. And that was the thing that Chris Brown did really well, except he also had the explosive plays. And, I mean, we could go into it. He's really good. Like One, you just look at him, you're like, dude is absolutely ripped. Defenders are just bouncing off of him. He
1: lowers the shoulder and he's trucking the that guy. They're leaving the field injured.
2: <laughs> so... Uh, I thought the stiff arms were like super fun thing to watch. Like there's a lot, you know, if uh, that continues to be a thing, you know, one of the most famous March on photos is the stiff arm that he has. Oregon. Uh, yeah. So that, I mean, that's just super exciting. And, um, he reminds me of like, you know, the, the back that can do it all. And, and he's got the same number as the back that I'm going to mention, which would be like a Shane Vereen type of back. Um, uh, and so it's really exciting. He's not as highly touted as Shane. Like, Shane was super fast. People don't give him enough credit for how fast he was. Um, but it's it's a, that and plus the O-line play. I mean, it's a different feel for that side of the ball. And, and then we can say things like, hey, all we need is a quarterback that kind of just doesn't mess that up, you know, and just keeps that as an option. The Utah route. Yeah.
1: And I like that a lot. Dude, if we can go 8-4 every year and beat Utah, like, Give me that. Yeah, and then That's the stars what... align, you and you get to twelve or ten or eleven wins. Sure, take yeah. it any day it. of the week. Yep. I'll go off that. I have another point about Chris Brown. Chris Brown, I think, is going to be the star of this offense, with no no question. Which was my hot take. Did I say that as a hot take? You said he was going to be our first thousand yard rusher since Laird. Since Laird. Eh, whatever. Close <laughs> enough. <laughs> Close enough. Um, so here's some stats that they they told the, in the press box. Chris Brown is the first running back since. Jabed best in two thousand eight. Hey, love it. Let's go back to that era. Yeah. Chris Brown is the first back since Jabed Best in two thousand eight to rush over a hundred yards in his first game as starter. Which is crazy to me considering all the other good running backs we had after Javid.
2: Yeah, first game as a starter though. Yeah. Well that's crazy. Oh yeah,
1: that is crazy. because, huh. like you don't think I don't we don't think Calfani did that? Or Daniel Lasco or like as a starter. Lasco probably had lasco probably had the lasco probably got close Lasco probably had somewhere between 80 and 90 range I'd assume but he'd he'd also have probably a few catches out of the backfield that probably vaulted him over like 120 yards on the day mm. but just not enough rushing yards to get over a 100 but yeah that's crazy to me crazy to me it's been 10 11 years since we've had a starting running back on their first on their first start wow get over 100 yards
2: yeah that's great yeah. I mean, it showed in every possible way no, his is... body
1: balance is just ridiculous and we were watching the game right before we started recording like it the way he adjusts like after getting hit like his where he places his hands like his feet and I'm gonna branch off just for a quick second and just say I think that I maybe the switch between Edwards and Burl Toller is actually already showing payoffs like I've seen Nick Edwards run with the the running backs and the drills he does. He's done a very good job of making sure that's a point of emphasis is you don't go to ground easy. Mm. Like you you make sure you try and stay up as much as possible. And he does a really good job of teaching the guys like how to find the holes late. He does this thing with the trash cans where it's two layers and he has a GA and you get a handoff from one of your other running backs. And the first GA at the very last minute, like pulls a trash can in one direction one direction and you have to jump cut as if the block is going in that direction. Yes, so you have to, you have to cut around it. And then in the second layer, Edwards is holding another two trash cans and he, and at the very last minute shifts it. So you have to, you have to read it and then react into the direction that the block is going hmm. and run around it. And that's one of the key ones that he's always, always done. And I think the guy's reaction speed has gotten faster. I mean, you saw that with Marcel Dancy on a couple of the cuts that he did. It was very late, re- late read, But he made the cut at the exact right time to to get past that first layer. That that, spin move. That spin move. Yeah. Spin move has been a big thing that they've been working on too. Spin move, ball security. uh, Yeah. No fumbles from the running backs. mm -hmm. Very, very good. That's big.
2: That's huge. It's a big part. It's a huge highlight, I think. That. And uh, I think I'll just roll right into the next one. Because it's just easy. Is that the O-line, which uh, I think one of my hot takes was that it would be the best O line we've had since about the same era of yeah. uh Javid, you know. Yeah, the and late two thousands. I think it's just gonna be a massive strength thrust, uh, barring injury,
1: really. Which we kinda already have hit right now with Daltoso going on in the game and we're unsure of his what was hurt status. Oh you don't know. But yeah. I mean the staff will never tell us yeah. what the injuries are, nor will be nor will they tell us if he's available for the game this week until the day of the game. Right. So
2: all right. Well, uh, I mean, barring injury, I think that this was – it was just weird to see a quarterback like standing up and just, you know, hanging out, (laughs) standing up hanging out. I mean, he had all day on that throw to Crawford for the touchdown. All day. That was the easiest throw I've ever seen a college quarterback make. It's wide open. And I just sit there, okay, great, 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 great. Oh, he's wide open, sweet, touchdown. (laughs) Like Easy. And then uh, you. Lo- I love the way that Chris Brown, like you could even, as we were watching, you could see the way that the holes were opening up and then how he hits them. And he hits the hole fast. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that we used to see a little bit with Laird sometimes was there'd be a little bit of hesitation behind the line. And some previous running backs, too, not just like Patrick. But uh, with Brown, like he hits that hole and he follows his lead block and gets sprung. And then. You know he's hard to take down, and if you get him that four yards in the field, that I means you're probably getting another two, three. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was just uh, this this formula of the strong offensive line, and then seeing the pictures of Greatwood, and then all of them in like the overalls, and yeah. they all look enormous. That's what, that's and, what they're
1: wearing this year because yeah. last year was the the Hawaiian shirts. Okay. Right. And then this year they, they wanted to go with the overalls. Yeah, and they Good just luck. look big. Yeah, they, they look huge. strong. And shout out to Tori Becton working that strength and conditioning. Holy yeah. moly. Yeah. So that's
2: that is uh an element we didn't have last year, and to me that's probably the most important piece that would carry us to the eight nine wins that I, you know, was sort of expecting.
1: Yeah, I can agree with that. I think the O line plays starting after the first quarter was just like, yeah, we're not we're not gonna get pushed around anymore. Like that, that that kind of felt like what it was, right? In terms of the running game and the pass pro, they were just like, yeah, you guys can do whatever you want. And um, uh, the one thing about the O line is, if you didn't listen to Chris, or sorry, not Chris Wilcox, Coach Justin Wilcox's uh, press conference after the game, he talked about the mush rush stuff, which I think paints a better picture of why um, Garbers' balls were batted down. Um, so what he described was a mush rush, mush rush, which is where the defensive linemen run up into the o-linemen and act like they're rushing but after they make that initial contact keep their head up looking at the quarterback and then just and then don't push back any further and just lift their hands up at the right time to try and get deflections and you saw that a couple times oh, you saw that three within like the first quarter and then the few minutes afterwards and then he said that they adjusted for it afterwards because they realized that's what they, that's how they were going to attack from the D-line. And they told uh, Chase to to squeeze the ball, tap it three or four more times to make it look like he was going to throw real quickly, but instead to hold it, wait for the place to develop downfield, and then make those throws. And I think it ultimately worked out perfectly because the D-line didn't have any bad balls for the rest of the game. And that was arguably their most experienced unit. They yep. were replacing people all across the board everywhere else all right let's see do I got I got one I got one all right this was arguably I won't say that yet but this was probably the most vanilla game plan from Cal offensively and defensively that we'll see all year and as much as I think the coaching staff won't admit to this I think they plan the game plan like this with one eye on Washington because you know Washington's going to look at this tape Right. This is the one tape they'll look to see the new skill players, you know, the new players across the board, new players on defense and try and get a feel for how they're gonna do. And all you saw defensively and I think offensively as well, is their athleticism. Right. We we honestly at toward, at the end of the game, what it came down to is we were more athletic and physically gifted than Davis and we pushed them around to get the win. Yeah. And so I think they knew that. They didn't I don't think they expected Davis to punch us in the mouth right as we started the game. No. But they adjusted accordingly, um, and they did enough to use that physicality to get us the W. And they did that on purpose just because they have a lot of things stored that they didn't want to get on tape. Yeah. Initially going into your first Pac twelve game, which you probably could have used a couple, let's say, if the UW game was later on in the year, right? Or maybe even the first Pac twelve game of the year, like how it usually is in like week four or five. But the weird with the way you schedule this way, like you just don't want that type of exposure because this is a big game, especially in conference.
2: Yeah. Oh, I think like the Davis game can be described just through Justin Wilcox body language which at the beginning of the game was like laughing and hugging Steve Greatwood. And then by the end of the first quarter was arms crossed, stern, stern, stiff body with a scowl across his face. So I think that was uh, one of those. Yeah, they did not expect that. But I think the point that you just laid out is is one of the the best that I have, you know, one of the a really good observation. I think that, uh, yeah, you know, both defensively and offensively, it did seem a little bit like, vanilla and uh with what you like them not wanting to give those looks away for sure and if they think that they have the talent i mean it's one of those things that you hear in the post-game press conference when you lose which is we overlooked them mm-hmm. <laughs> uh so it's a little risky but um you know it obviously paid off and at the second at the second half is what you, exactly what you saw you saw You know, it just sort of opened up for Cal. It became easier. And then, yeah, we had way more talent on our offensive line and on our running back, and we were able to just kind of lean into that heavy. We can't run Chris Brown 36 rushes a game. We'll run him out of gas by the middle of the season. But, um, yeah, I think saving that game plan, being able to win, you know, we probably could have won 30-13 to I still don't know if I'm really giving that touchdown to Crawford, but hey, if we were going to, you could probably have a, something like that, and um, you could also make a case that the first touchdown that we gave up was, you know, a little bit of just un- misfortune.
1: So, I mean, we didn't do a lot of the things that we saw last year alone, too, right? Like, if you remember that USC game, what were, some of the biggest defensive plays was the Evan Weaver sacks, and it was the same play, right? It was a stunt up the middle. Yeah. We didn't run a single stunt for our linebackers. Yeah. Like we ran coin outside as the outside linebacker in our speed package, but he just ran a, a, just a straight off the edge, just run to the quarterback. We, we didn't run any intricate things and it didn't, I mean, I'll have to look a little bit more closely, but it didn't look like we ran any disguises either. Yeah. What what they saw is what we gave them. Yep. So we're not showing them any of our disguises, any of our transition looks like, yeah, this is, what you see is a one high safety. Yeah, no, no, we're going to go into cover three. <laughs> like, we saw none of those transitions whatsoever. And I think it was to make sure because you, ha- I think you have to know that you're going against Washington in Seattle, but they have a first year quarterback mm-hmm. or a first year starter at quarterback. And if you can mask these properly, there's not enough game tape and time for him to go through and look and have that experience of playing this Cal defense. Yeah. Right. So, and offensively, too. I think you have a lot more weapons now um, on the outside and with Chris Brown. And they probably have a lot of wrinkles that they wanted to run. Um, and they just, they're not going to. Yeah. Because they want to use some of those things to maybe get them the extra yards come come game day. It'll be fun to see them open it up. Yeah. And if, if they don't, if they don't, then we come back to this pod and we have a very big issue on our hands. <laughs> like, what is going yeah. on? What is going on? What is absolutely going on? All right. Uh, Do you have a next point? Yeah. uh, I think
2: you could count about five to six turnovers that of like if you had everything that could have gone wrong. So like Davis players making interceptions.
1: There could have been two more interceptions at the very least.
2: Yeah. So I think you could have had a game where we had about five, six turnovers. And so I think something that I just sent out on Twitter is like there's a good – you could make a good case that this isn't just like a – player issue with the turnover stuff which we were making we were saying oh it's just McIlwain McIlwain's just like so careless with the ball like well uh, it's just McIlwain well here we are in another season and now it's Davis and we're turning the ball over at a super high frequency so we might have a turnover problem and this is on the coaching staff not even a reflection of any player and I think that that's probably the most concerning thing coming out of this game is that you know I mean, look at TCU. Look at Arizona game. I mean, any of those games where we lost because of the ridiculous amount of turnovers we were making, something's got to give, and something needs to change. And I don't know what it is, and I'm not sure. Like, uh, but the coaching staff st- might need to be observed, you know, uh, as a, as a result of some of this, of, of some of what we're seeing on the field.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing, right, is now it's gonna at the the biggest question at the end of this season looking ahead is was the decision to keep Baldwin going to be a payoff right I think that's the that's a that's a big question that fans are going to ask themselves like at the end of the season we can we it's only going to go one of two ways wow that was a solid decision to keep Baldwin it might have started off a little weird but good good call or man you should have you should have you should have let him go when you had the chance and started fresh going into this season. Yeah. So it's it's one of those weird things. Um Alright. I got next one. My point is uh we have a very big issue with the interior defensive line. Not having CU, not having Maldonado, um has very big and you saw that in the Davis game where they ran a lot of plays up the middle, especially on runs, and just got yards. We got pushed around, but the saving grace in all of this is that we got to see Brett Johnson play at nose guard. And when we put Brett Johnson in at nose guard, after the first couple plays where they one-on-one him against a, a guard or center, he was commanding double teams. And that's exactly what you want from your nose guard. You want him to—if he can eat up three people, even better. <laughs> but if he can eat up two, if he can eat up the center or either one of the guards, he's doing his job. Because it's a numbers game up front, right? So if he can do that, then you it frees up linebackers and it frees up defensive ends. Yeah. And so I firmly believe he'll be the start at nose guard come Washington. I also firmly believe we'll move Beckett probably back out to the defensive end spot where he's probably his, is his best position anyways. And then use Beckett to spell Johnson inside. If like, Let's say we go into a speed package. I think that'd be perfect. Hmm. Moving Beckett inside and then putting like Coin, you know, outside and then putting Tattersall in or or shifting that around. But I think that'd be be on point. But yeah,
2: I don't actually know how much to make of the interior D line struggles. Versus like, are they struggling because we're not doing anything that's all that interesting as a defense, and therefore like you know they're not getting any help from anywhere else. And would they look better if we were, like, sending more blitzes or doing different packages versus, like, what we did there? Or if it's just, like, we didn't have the bodies. But, yeah, Brett Johnson is an absolute monster. It was fun watching him play. I think it's the
1: size, right? Like, Beckett's great, but he's not the size of a nose guard. Like, a nose guard is is one of those big, huge guys on the team, like a Chris Palmer from last year, right? You want, like, a 285 to 300-pound bowling ball that's smack dab in the middle, that's unmovable on runs and forces you to either run outside or just run into his own center and guard and so but we didn't have that um on saturday and i think we i think brett johnson gives us that i think i still think brett johnson's best position in the long term is going to be outside but if he wants to play this year and he wants to play the whole year getting some some time at nose guard and Pretty much, as a nose guard, his only his only thing is just going to be hold two guys, like make sure two guys are on you, and just just run at the ball, like that's he's not going to be asked to do more than that. Yeah. Whereas on the edge, you're asked to do a little bit more, maybe drop back into coverage a bit, maybe spy a bit or set the edge. Mm. But I think staying as the nose guard, your your role is pretty pretty set. Do you want to talk about Devin Paul making that defensive play? Oh lord, yeah, that was amazing. That was absolutely amazing. I mean, he was set up, I think, as the outside linebacker in that role. And then it looks like he's going to blitz, but no, he drops back and then follows the wide receiver. It looked like a wheel route. Uh, and just stayed with him all the way down the sideline, got his hand up at the exact right time, and then broke on the pass. Beauty. Beauty. <laughs> it's so crazy.
2: So crazy seeing someone that big make that type of play. That was really wild.
1: Oh um you got a next one yeah point um i think we're running out of points
2: yeah i'm running out i have my final two which are unsurprising so i think like we'll continue the trend of defense i think uh my two players that i you know didn't see that much of last year and then saw a lot of today were uh good camera good and then coin dang and those two were just like the most fun for me to watch obviously good we saw last year but he got hurt and missed the whole season so he was like all over the place just making like great plays he and had the sack too which yeah
1: is terrifying <laughs> yeah
2: we tackled the guy with one arm yeah so uh it was amazing to see him back and i think a lot of people have echoed that you know it's great to see him back and playing and, and he's a huge asset for us and then yeah, Dang was ridiculous. He was all over the place. He's still kind of skinny. So I think like he could put on more weight even. He and has the frame too. Yeah, he definitely does. And you just start thinking about like what he'd be capable of even at that level. And it's crazy. But he was all over the field. And it was impossible not to see his number come up. Uh, and then just to hear the announcers being like, man, it's crazy to think that this defense added somebody like that. Yeah. So – uh, it's gonna be fun to watch. I can't wait for this defense to be like to see what we're gonna see. You know, yeah, mid season form. Yeah, because we forget like the defense was kind of like finding its identity in the first few games. Like it was really good, but it wasn't like the ridiculously good defense that we got to know towards the end of the year. Right. It sort of took till October to kind of get, and then it was like boom, we hit that str- we hit our stride, and so. I can't wait to see what this defense is when
1: we hit our stride versus, you know, the first couple of games of the year. It's a, that's a big one. And I think going off of that, I mean, we saw that stat on the during the game, right? It was like 24 or 27 points per game in the first six or seven games. And then the final, the rest of the season, it was like 14.6 points per game that the defense gave up. That's like a 10-point drop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The two possession drop, like that's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, I don't know if we'll get statistically to the point where our defense is as good as it was last year, just from a stats standpoint. um, We easily could, like I'm talking about, like the turnover numbers, the interception numbers, the the keeping teams points per game like that low numbers. But I think we'll still have an elite enough defense. We're gonna have an elite defense. Um, It's just the numbers just won't be, I think, as good as. Last year, because I think some people were surprised like when they were facing off against our defense. My final point is, like, it's on a happy note. No one got injured. Yeah. No one getting injured in the game was spectacular. (laughs) Because that throws a huge wrench. I mean, knock on wood. But, I mean, you saw what happened with SC this week against Fresno. Like, you lose your starting quarterback in the first game of the season. I mean, I guess the the silver lining in that would be like if you're good, if you know you're going to lose your starting quarterback in the season, I guess the the one game to lose it would be your first one, just because then you know you're working the backup the rest of the year. Yep. Um, but I mean, not having anyone go down this year in the first game is absolutely huge. Yep. And seeing all those guys healthy, Cam Good had a couple times where he went down, and from the press box I couldn't see why he went down, but then watching the watching the game on TV clear cut just cramped yep and he got back on the bike and he was working it off and of course I mean his first game back like he's gonna be running at full speed but you know his body's not used to it yet yeah I feel
2: like (laughs) you know we lost like Kanovi and you know in Bowers and we had a bunch of injuries last year so it's it's really good to see them healthy really really good to see them healthy
1: thoroughly excited All right, so should we give out a couple of awards before we talk about UW for a little bit yeah all right. Do you have a offensive player of the game? CB, yeah. Easy. I think I I'll go off of that. I'll say O line. Yeah, the entire offensive line. <laughs> yeah, the entire offensive line. Yeah. If you if yeah, I just showed Andy the Kerhan uh, and Chris Brown post game conference interview. If you don't, if you haven't watched that yet, please go watch it. It's absolutely hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. Um, and then your defensive player of the game. Oh. Um,
2: hmm. I think I am like leaning towards just saying Cam Good was the defensive player of the game Uh, he had a couple of really solid havoc plays uh, the sack and uh, there was another player where I think he like stripped the ball out but they ruled it you know incomplete because uh, the receiver never really had it it would have been a fumble Um, I mean, he was just all over the field so I feel pretty good about that
1: I'm going to have to go with Beckett I think Beckett on the stat line at least he had the, the sack and the two tackles for loss I believe if I'm, if I'm not mistaken yeah so yeah he he filled up the statue which I fully expected him to anyways but all right do you have a uh, who, what what drinks are we sponsored by at, at Cal Athletics? Are we Pepsi I think we're Pepsi, all right? Who's your Who's your Pepsi? Gatorade. Are we Gatorade? Yeah. All right. Who's your Who's your Gatorade player to watch out for next week? Who's your Gatorade explosion player for next week? Like, who do you think is going to have a just a a standout, just game?
2: Evan Weaver. Mm. He's going home. His senior Senior year. year. This is going to be. This is personal. (laughs) (laughs) He was very upset after this game. Uh, I'd expect him to be the person to watch,
1: and I'm not choosing anybody on offense because I don't know what we're going to get. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been saying this for weeks So I'm going to do it again For me I think it's going to be McAllen Castles He showed He he had some moments in this game To mm-hmm. like in, announce himself A little bit He declined He declined He was um, like not right now he, Yeah Well the first one was def- The first drop was definitely on him uh, the No one, question yeah, the other one Second was one was numbers. Kind of on him But not really Because it, it bounced off his hands But it was a little too far ahead Um I think McAllen's going to play a, a big part. At the tight ends have to, and we threw the tight ends decently in this game. Uh, but I do feel like we're going to start to work them in a little bit more over the middle, especially against bigger bodied linebacking cores, which Washington does. You put a six five like it's going to be so much easier to throw to McAllen who's six five than to to try and throw over the middle to Nico or Jeremiah Hawkins. I just I just think. All right. Talk about UW for a little bit. This is a weird like schedule thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's like it's super weird to have a Pac-12 game as the second game of the season. Like I've I have you ever experienced a Pac-12 game this year? I know Stanford and SC sometimes has this because they play Notre Dame so late in the year. But yeah, yeah, so, they had those early
2: games last year. Yeah,
1: I don't remember us ever ever having to do this. It's kind of
2: nice. It's an extra, it's like one of those things where you go out of the. The area of like norm normalcy, or of like being like, well, like will Cal actually be this good in the Pac-12? It's like you get a really early response on like where we might gauge. Yeah, early gauge. And honestly, if you lose this game, which I'm expecting us to lose this game, it's not a huge deal. You bounce back with North Texas the following week, and then you go into Ole Miss, and Ole Miss looked bad against Memphis, and then all of a sudden, you know what? You're like three and one. So it's not like a it also removes the pressure of it because where we've had Washington scheduled every year, the last four years has felt like there's so much pressure on us becoming bowl eligible at that point in time. Yeah. And so it actually makes this, uh, and I hope that the staff real like opens up the playbook because of it. Cause it's really like, yes, does it matter for winning the Pac-12 North? Definitely. And do I want to win $500 in Vegas because of my bet? Yes, I do. <laughs> but, uh, at at the end of the day, as far as like where we need to go this year, it's not the world's most important game. Whereas if it was catching you in early November, it'd be like, Oh, this game matters, you know? (laughs) So it's cool in that sense, um, to get it early. I think it also will allow us either surprise
1: Washington or they could surprise us. And, um, yeah. Yeah. It's one of those games where the expectation for both sides, I think is unknown. Mm -hmm. Right. Because, We both played FCS teams in week one. Cal's overall were disappointed in the performance. UW fans were ecstatic in Easton's performance. And both teams are going to go into this game going, Cal fans are going to be going, okay, can we bounce back? Can we, was that just us, you know, knocking off the rust and just trying to find our rhythm? And can we do that against a Pac-12 North rival? The Huskies are going into it thinking, if he plays like this... We're winning the conference and we're getting into the playoffs. Yeah, you know, okay. like it's it's that feeling, and either team with one mishap can get punched in the mouth. <laughs> so, it's really weird. And f- personally, as a Cal fan, I think this is the perfect time to play Washington. I think if we play them later in the year and Eason has some time, you know, to play a couple Pac-12 games, get that experience under him, some of those other skill position players on defense and offense get that experience and then get that playing time if considering how our offense was and how most people are expecting them to be and, you know, be just flatline, just mediocre, like that would not have been a close game in my opinion. But because it's so early, we're talking about the same thing, right? Or either team is going to surprise the other one. Right. And it's just a matter of who can surprise first and who can recover from that. And Wilcox talks about all the time, right? Like we knew we were going to face adversity in this game. It was a matter of how we were going to take on that adversity and fight through it. And I think that's exactly what this game is going to be. There's going to be times where Eason's going to surprise you with a, with a throw that you never expected him to make. And then can you bounce back from that? Can the offense bounce back from that and control the tempo and, and keep the ball and and get third-down conversions and, and keep drives going? Can the defense get us that one one or two turnovers that decides the game for us?
2: It's kind of crazy to think about, but Cal is 2-2 two and two in the last four uh, matchups with... UW. UW, yeah, and you're like, what? Chris Peterson, <laughs> Peterson era, and like all of a sudden we're like two and two with UW, but like can't beat Stanford. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. Do you can't have, wait. Do you have any predictions for the UW game? Uh,
2: mm, it doesn't I have to be honestly. A... See us getting blown out, and I just don't think it'll matter that much. Um, I I just it doesn't don't have know. to like, be a score.
1: I just think like any 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 personal. I don't think we get blown. I mean.
2: i I could see any range of number of outcomes happen i think uh you know maybe a one or two touchdown game game i i just don't know if i see enough right now in us winning i I have never pegged this game as a win on the schedule you Mm -hmm. know And, and i've still been saying strong about the eight nine wins so it's like i've never pegged this one as as a w this year um I do think we will beat Oregon on the road. So that's sort of been my big one. But if hey, if we get UW instead, I'm I'm here for it. And will the team be ready? Yes, because Evan Weaver will be ready. So the entire team will be ready. I'll be in New Orleans. It'll be 9.30, and I'll probably be disappointed that I'm having to sacrifice a night in New Orleans to stay inside to watch Pac-12 football. But it'll be fun. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think if we can just – get get the running game going then it plays directly into our strength and how we can beat that team so it's totally possible.
1: You know what my hot take uh prediction for this game is? Hmm. Not in the sense of like a score, hmm. but the game I think will be decided by one or two drives by Cal's offense off of a Cal defense turnover. Right. I think we're going to I think the defense is going to turn UW over at least twice in this game. The question is, does Cal get touchdowns or any sort of points off of this? Or do we go three and out and punt the ball? Well, now that we got Greg the leg. Yeah. Field goals for days. Forty seven yarder. <laughs> forty seven yarder. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's what it's gonna come down to. Like we turn the ball over, we're on, you know, either their forty five or our forty five right around midfield. What do we do with it? Do we go three and out? Do we run the clock a little bit, maybe get three points, or do we just push down the field and somehow get that touchdown and put pressure on them and it's going to come down to that in my opinion i think the defense is going to do enough in keeping the score down to keep us in it and their defense as well but i think our defense has the edge of getting maybe those one or two turnovers from the secondary and then we're just going to have to to capitalize and if we don't that's probably where we lost our game that's my thought i don't i just don't think that's, to be able to blow up. Yeah. that's pretty much it we're done here from the bear um, just a little, I guess, more end of the pod housekeeping. You can find all our stuff at CaliforniaGoldenBlog.com, Twitter at Twitter.com backslash GoldenBlog. You can find Andy on Twitter at Andy Mode. You can find me at Rob11HWAMG, and you can find us on Instagram at instagram.com backslash golden blog. you can also find us on twitch at twitch.tv backslash golden blogs which we will be up later uh, not though and that's pretty much it that wraps it up for us and as always go bears
2: go bears